This is Westside Barbell with strength and conditioning legend, Louis Simmons. Westsidebarbell.com, the strongest website in the world. Welcome to today's podcast. Uh, on today's podcast, we're going to discuss the deadlift for sprinting. With us here today uh, is Brian Sefillis from One to One Training. Uh, Brian is a, one of Westside Barbell's special strength certified coaches, and of course, Louis Simmons. Louis, the reason why we bring the topic up today of the deadlift is because it's so important for sprinting. In your opinion, why do you think some coaches avoid them for maximum effort movements, and do you think it's possible they are perceived as dangerous? Um, first of all, no exercise is dangerous if you're a well-trained coach. First, you have to learn how to do the deadlifts. I recommend mostly sumo style for athletes, and that's what we're talking about here today, not powerlifting. Um, so sumo style is very safe. It builds the hips, glutes, and hamstrings a lot more than the conventional. Conventional puts a lot of stress on the lower back. We want to avoid that of it for injuries. We can't have any injuries in the weight room. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the word deadlift all along has always um, occurred the name with it as, as dangerous, but they're not dangerous. I don't know why people think um, people with strong backs are going to hurt themselves. They're not. You have to be prepared. You know, without a, a base, you're going to hurt yourself, but a pyramid is only as tall as the space, so you have to build a strong base. You know, here at Westside, Tom, as you well know, 80% uh, of our training is on spatial exercise, only 20% with a barbell, yet our top 10 deadlift average is 866 pounds, top 5, 890. No gym in the world can, is comparable to this. Uh, Louis, is, uh, why do you think that sumo is the key for sprinting? I just mentioned because it overloads the hamstrings, glutes, abductors, and so forth. Uh, hips, that's what the wider you squat, the more muscles that you use. Uh, if you're going to waste time or spend time doing deadlifts, then utilize a style that uses the most muscles to sprint. Well, then what do you say to the coaches that would rather do power cleans than sprint or than deadlifts? Uh, they need to look into some biomechanics analysis. They'll find out that power clean has nothing to do with the sprinting at all. Only The only thing a power clean can do is help a power uh, Olympic weightlifter. It's not going to help an athlete one bit. It's a great conditioning tool. I used it with Kevin Randleman years ago. Kevin would um, power clean 225, drop it to the hang, hang clean it, then push jerk it. He would do a rep every 30 seconds for 10 minutes. Uh, there was a wrestler, Ohio U, that Ethan Rees, the coach at the time, told me he actually used 300 pounds to do this drill. Well, if, if you're gonna do, what would be an example? of a maximum effort deadlift if you had a if a sprinter came into you wanted to work up or work out what would you get them to do well I, for some reason i get a lot of young girls who actually go on to d1 universities when they leave here um what i do with the girls i start them on high pin deadlifts i put the bar above their knee use sumo style where they can lift maybe uh you know 75 or 100 more pounds than, than they're normally going to be able to deadlift off the floor okay. the, those deadlifts can be done with pins um, you know, I could say above the knee, even just a very, uh, like a, it used to be called a, a hand, a hand um, thigh lift where you just barely buzz the weights up because the lockout is all glutes and hamstrings. And that's what we're trying to build for sprinters. Would you use bands with these sprinters? I absolutely use bands. But in, in the deadlift, in power racks, um, we normally, my strong guys, the plates are two and a half, four and a half, or six and a half inches off the ground. Um, you know, people here to deadlift in the fives will use 170 uh, pounds of band tension normally. 
Our strong deadlifters, you know, the guys in the mid six, seven, and right way on up, uh, use up uh, 250 or 350 plus the barbell weight. Another way we do a lot of variations on deadlift. Um, if we're deadlifting on the floor, we never do a regular deadlift. Never are we doing a regular deadlift. Um, we're either, um, the athlete is either standing on a two or four inch mats or the plates are on two or four inch mats. And um, I, don't, I believe, you know, for us, a deadlift is a mental lift. So we never try to uh, test ourselves in a real deadlift. If you fail, you're, uh, you're basically mentally stricken down for a while. But if you break all these other records, it will go into a deadlift. I have two 198s here that have power lifted for one year. One, one, in a full power meet, one pulled 700 at 198. The other pulled 755. I uh, breaking our uh, record in the gym 750 by a, a great deadlifter years ago in the mid 80s, uh, Jeff Corpenny. How uh, how often would you rotate between different maximum effort lifts? Max effort lift must be rotated each week. This avoids accommodation. Uh, is, is that the same for novices than to advance? If you want, if you're going to go somewhere, you want to start start out on the right road, not the wrong road, and eventually have to switch to another road. Yes, everyone should train the same way. There, there's only one way to train or two ways, the right way and the wrong way. Um, you know, many coaches I have found only know one way, and they never search for another way. They're taught that way by their coach, who may not have been that good, or they may be inexperienced. Um, in 1981, after breaking my lower back the second time, I'd always train progressive gradual overload. I only knew one way. There was only one way. But I researched into the Soviet training and found wave periodization and so forth, and it changed my life. And not only that to find out there's a better way, which is the right way, but you must always make it better all the time. Now, that was 1981. And as you well, Tom, we just made a modification on our belt squat to even give us greater efforts in the deadlift. <laughs> so now it's 2016. It's a never-ending quest to make your athletes better. If you don't want to work to make your athletes better, you shouldn't be a coach. And if massive strength doesn't matter, then why does a strength coach have a job in the first place? Why would you hire one? Just... Send them down to the world's gym. Let them do it. Oh, how can you talk to us more about the modifications done to the belt squat and what you think that's going to uh, bring towards the deadlift? Well, I, I mentioned before this hasn't much to do about sprinting, but we have actually uh, well, we have had four nine hundred plus deadlifts, but I'll tell you about three. Josh Conley came here for seven hundred pound deadlift officially, pretty tough. That's about all he had. In sixteen months, he pulled nine. Um, the next fellow, uh, who is actually six foot eight, uh, came here with a 785 deadlift in eight months, conventional, no gear, pulled 905. Now he's pulled 915 to me. And lastly, uh, um, uh, our new lifter, his name Jake, he came here and uh, with a, a 845, which is very good. He's six foot seven, pulled 845, was stuck. And around nine weeks, pulled 900 pounds. And they all did the same exercise. We stand in a bell squat with enormous weights around our waist. Um, when you release the weight, it's tractioning out the spine. So while you're getting stronger, it works as restoration. Secondly, we, we place a bar in the rack. Our spatial uh, bell squat machine has three adjustments. You can do a regular full deadlift, um, a right below the knee deadlift, or above the knee deadlift. And we load that bar up to immense amount of weights. And we do not only a few reps, but also holds. We normally don't do this exercise for repetitions, but for time. Normally one minute with massive weights. And I think, Tom, you've been in there for what, eight minutes or something? Yes, sir. 
eight minutes. It builds tremendous endurance. So, you know, if you're a long-distance runner, this is going to make a huge difference. Um, I mentioned in the other talk about even a um, – it's been documented that if you run 5K race and you become stronger and you can decrease your ground contact by one hundredth of a second per step, there's 2,500 steps in a 5K race on the average. That would reduce the running time by 25 seconds. So I hope this got someone's attention. Uh, for those listening, could you uh, briefly explain how to execute the sumo deadlift? Yes, if you're going to deadlift, we never do rack pulls at sumo. All the rack pulls are done conventional, but we do everything else on the platform if you're a sumo deadlifter. To drive the sumo, you push outward. You'll notice a nice skater takes out. He shifts left to right, left to right. Sprinters do this. Bolt almost crosses the line. He's so powerful at pushing out to the side, he almost crosses out of his lane. Um, people like this need more work on the inside of the body, inside of the thighs, to go more in a straight line. But that shows how dynamically strong he is. Um, so sumo, you drive your feet apart, and you basically pull backwards on the bar. Everything is center mass. A pendulum, when the pendulum stops swinging, it's, it's center, it goes to center mass. If you hold your arm out in front of you and let it go, it goes to the center of your body. When you pick up barbells, they must come to they will come to the center of the body, not straight up. Uh, speaking on that, a lot of coaches love to use the trap bar for deadlifting. Do you think that will have any carryover, or is it a waste of time? It has maybe a small amount of carry, in my my opinion, because it is a center mass bar. As you notice, when you start to do the lift, your hands is in the center of your hip line. Where in a deadlift, it is the, your uh, hands are in front of your hip line. So you have to pull anything in front of you. Your hamstrings and glutes are taking stress. Um, I saw lots of guys use um, the trap bar that you mentioned, Tom, and could out deadlift, for instance, me and Chuck Vogelpool, but they were 100 pounds under my deadlift, let alone Chuck Vogelpool's deadlift when I went to conventional. It did very, it did them very little well. Everyone thinks it's safer. You know what? The safest thing is the least productive thing. I have a question as a coach. I know when I listen to this or read any of your stuff, I want to try to get as close to what you're telling us to do as possible. Uh, and I understand this is about the deadlift, but are you saying that the max effort day for sprinters should be deadlift all the time, or should they rotate it with squats, box squats? or? Um, you know, yes. If you watch um, Bolt, a lot of his training, it's on high boxes. He doesn't do full uh, boxes. There's no need because he's not getting his leg to parallel course when you run. So, but you, uh, the key is max effort. Max effort is anything. Um, if I went into a dark alley and Tom beat me up three weeks ago, but I didn't know who he was, I know I got beat up. And when I recovered, then three weeks later, if you beat me up, all I know is I got beat up. I don't know who beat me up, but it doesn't matter. Max effort is max effort. If you go back to looking at uh, Charlie Francis with Ben Johnson, many times he would max out in the bench before he'd race. This is contrast training. I do the same thing with my athletes. Three days, a lot of times, three days before, because you can do extreme workouts every 72 hours, regardless what the activities are, um, I will have them do a rack pull. Uh, and then um, basically uh, every time they would do this heavy rack pull, they would break their uh, uh, short sprint time. Are there uh, specific accessories to improve a deadlift as a sprinter, or would that be specific to the person? Everything's specific to the person, but you must all have the same strong muscles to deadlift. One thing I want to bring up before we get into special exercise is that, you know, uh, Barry Ross, I've got a lot of respect for Barry. He's got a book called uh, Secrets of uh, Running uh, Faster, Underground Secrets of Running Faster. And uh, it's about 87 pages. It's a tremendous stuff in here. Um, and also, if you look at articles by Timlin, two, they both agree that the deadlift is the key to sprinting. Their style was to pull the bar up to the knee and drop it. 
Um, and that's what I have my girl. This is this one variation. You need many variations or you will go stale or, again, the law of accommodation will occur. Um, but why would they drop the bar? No eccentric work. When you lower barbells, that's where you get sore and you build muscle mass. I don't want, if you gain 10 pounds on a sprinter, yes, to be greatly stronger to overcome that more mass uh, on, um, of gravity because it's all opposite and equal thing. So one of my tests for me is I had a girl 117, now she's 152, but when she starts, she jumped on a, fit, uh, a uh, 34, and now, and now she's jumped on a 55, this box. She put on specific mass where she needed it to be faster. That's right. It's not bodybuilding. It ain't how you look. It's how you run. I think a lot of people get confused, and they misjudge maximum effort training for the repetitions near failure method because that's where you put on the muscle. Maximum effort should not put on muscle on an athlete. No, max effort is very low volume. You work up. The other day, I had my one girl pull uh, uh, 345 on a four, on a four inch box, and that was a record. If you you never even calculate waist till 70 percent. If we take 225 for one, 275 for one, um, 325 for one, and then she pulled 345 for one. That's only 1260 70 pounds of work. That's not going to put muscle mass on anybody. But it was a new record, new stimulus, something she's never done. You know, let's don't forget, folks, what, what is a sprint? A sprint by Webster's Dictionary says to run as fast as possible for a short distance. It's all acceleration. If you're going to work on sprinting, work on acceleration. Why would you go out and run 440s when you're going to run 20 seconds? It's, this, it's basically a waste. You only need oxygen to recover. Would you have them do speed deads uh, also, and would it be different than for a powerlifter or a football player? No, there's no different. If uh, it's, a, it's a good qu question. Um, if you want to work speed, uh, explosive strength, we're going to use in a three-week wave 30%, 35, and 40 with 25% band tension. I, again, for my sprinters, I would make them do sets of five or six, as long as the barbell don't slow down, in a set, around 36 total reps for explosive strength. That uh, explosive strength is defined as high velocity training and um if they were working on speed strength it would, it would be just like us we normally use about 50 percent bar weight at 30 percent band tension and now we would reduce the waist down to 24 this is according to as primlin's charts which i've always followed uh based off a thousand high skilled weightlifters um so that way now we're talking about intermediate velocity and that velocity basically going to be about 0 0.8 0 0.9 meters between 0 0.7 to 0 0.9 and, and, and by the way, the explosive will be by one point, one point, one meter per second, maybe 1.1, 1.2. I've had powerlifters here pull 495, 1.2 for their sets. You know, we never went higher than that. They're very explosive. The one was six foot tall, could jump up and touch 11.6. So with his fingertips, it's very explosive. I feel like as a coach, this is one place that a lot of people get lazy or don't bother doing it because we ended up getting a Tendo unit because untrained eyes like that you guys if we don't have the eyes that you have we haven't seen the hundreds of thousands of reps so we don't know that speed so i think that more people need to invest in that do you do you agree with that or if you need it i've had coaches i try to stop coaches from buying tendos when we were selling them uh but they felt that it was good for the kids to compete against the speed okay so you know psychologically yes a coach needs to know what fast is and what's what slow is it just takes experience if you're a coach. Yeah. Lou, from my observation of you, you train uh, your track athletes, especially your sprinters, 
you, you tend to have them uh, deadlift for a time and box squat for a time. What's the reason for this, and do you think it'll, it'll carry over? Are we talking about high repetition, Tom? Correct. Um, yes. Uh, well, for one thing, we do a lot of belt squatting in the, in the belt squat machine on the soft box. And one of my girls actually did 93 reps in 60 seconds. Uh, she did that with a 45-pound plate on our machine. So uh, we do a lot of stuff like this. Also deadlifts. I had a, um, I had a 15-year-old, 115-pound high school girl here uh, pull two and a quarter for 17 reps. And she went on to, to D1 school as well. And uh, she ended up, she could deadlift 345. This is an extremely strong girl. Uh, but I believe we took her for around 225 in the beginning to where she did 17 reps at 225. But the deadlift is a key. Uh, it's just absolutely the key to training. Uh, You'll notice big squatters, Tom. You're, you're here with us at powerlifting. Just think of all your 1,000-pound squatters. All, for the most part, they're massive guys. Mm -hmm. But yet again, we have two 900-pound deadlifters, and they're 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, hmm. They're more athletic. You're talking linemen, uh, offensive linemen, defensive linemen um, type people here. You feel that like everybody should wear a belt, no matter what kind of athlete they are, for, if they're sprinters doing deadlifts? They need to wear a belt because most people don't know how to use their stomach. Uh, that's another very good question because um, that's why I don't like power cleans. <clears throat> a, a lot of athletes come here and they have tight psoas. Tight psoas, all of a sudden you got tightness on one side of your body. It Now not only does it go from the hip, it can go down through the, the near the ankle. Or cause I just had a girl get a calf injury, and I basically believe it's got a lot of her psoas problems. Even though each week we have an expert ART person work on her. Uh, but she needs, um, basically needs to work on uh, more mobility. Everyone's not... Uh, as mobile as others. You know, I think a lot of sprint coaches make a drastic mistake. Um, there is technique, but you can't work on the, a person's technique, but you can't change their style. I talked about Michael Johnson, straight-up style, short stoppy steps. If you look at um, Bolt, he's a, a very tall person, long stride. He only carries the, carry, carries the distance in 100 meters of 41 steps, as most people carry in 43 or 45. These two have two drastic different um, methods of running, yet they're the fastest human from 100 to 400 meters in the world for the last eight years. What about briefs? I've heard you talk about uh, recommending briefs to like football players to save their hips. Would you recommend the same to? I absolutely would. You know, uh, everybody, you know, I know track doesn't wear much. You got track shoes and the girls got the little shorts. Um, but you don't want to get a person hurt in the weight room. I don't want to send my girls out here sore and then have to go do track practice. Uh, some of these track warm-ups are an hour, which is ludicrous. You know, the human body was never meant to move slow. It was move, meant to move fast. And um, it, it, it's just, all this extra warm-up is not necessary. <laughs> just unless you're going to have a contest warming up. <laughs> uh, what I found uh, utilizing the deadlift, especially with our MMA guys here, that it seems to be one of the best exercises for CNS activation. And um, you once told me that the, the deadlift is the king of all exercises. One, because anything that you grasp in your hand, it recruits the most muscles. Could you uh, elaborate on that a little bit for us? Uh, yes, well, Barry Ross, again, Barry Ross uh, recommends the same type of training, you know, the deadlift, because you're gripping the bar. And uh, it, it activates the most muscle uh, recruitment. And that's what max effort is. You know, a lot of coaches are, I, I've talked to top coaches, and I said, what's the greatest method of strength training? They'll recite a max effort method out of the practice of science and strength training. And I say, well, do you do it, coach? And they say, no. Uh, this, this is, this amazes me. 
because on the football field, if a person not making a maximum effort, they're not on the football field, they're on the bench. If a baseball player doesn't run as fast as possible till second or hit a home run or run out to center field to catch and make a diving catch, they're off the team. Everything in sport is max effort. It may not appear to that to a novice's eye, but it's max effort. R running 100 meters or indoor 60 or even 200 is max effort. It just takes, it takes six seconds, nine seconds, or 20 seconds. That's the only difference. I, I think a lot of novice people in the gym, even some coaches, use straps a lot. So like what you're saying, you know, those of us know we never use them, but... I think that's a reason that nobody should use them, right? Because then you're not grabbing it. Well, the only thing for the high rep demos, we do demos where uh, where Barry does a lot of uh, pull up to the knee and drop the bar. We do that as well, but we also hold a bar at the top, drop it to below, right below the knee with an arch back and the buttock stuck out, and drop catch, drop catch, drop catch, drop catch for sets of 20. These are called demo deadlifts. Uh, I took a friend of mine, Matt Demo, he stuck at 820 in the squat before gear was, you know, had anything, uh, any use at all. And um, and his um, well, he had he had a twenty squat going nowhere for a year. And it was a bad experiment on my part, but I deadlifted seven days in a row, and I broke my squat record. So I had Matt do it. In nine months, he squatted nine hundred, and then in four months later, broke the world record. He squatted a thousand ten. And um, and then his friend Steve Wilson, who uh, had a small waist, he had an eight fifteen deadlift at two sixty five, and in the same period of time, made an eight sixty five deadlift in the contest by doing the demo deadlifts. Um, they only used their barbell weights was two and a quarter and two seventy five. That's all they used. Too many people use two heavy weight. You want to drop it and crit and catch it. You know that dropping that barbell, all that kinetic energy and reversing it, it just sh it just shocks the glutes and the hamstrings. Um, if you if you blow up your lower back, then you're not doing it correctly. It's all glute and hamstring. It's basically quarter squatting with the bar in your hand. My glutes and hamstrings are still smoked from that new belt squat two oh, days ago. There's nothing like it. <laughs> there's nothing like that. There's nothing like it. <clears throat> you know, you can be a pretender and buy junk or you can have the real belt, uh, Westside Barbell Belt Squat. Yeah, you we fight in there. <laughs> and for those of you listening, the, the new Belt Squat modifications we've added, is, uh, as Louis said, there's it's basically um, a half rack surrounded uh, around the Belt Squat, so we got different heights and for band attachments, so you can power clean, you can clean, you can do whatever you want, and you can do deadlifts uh, out of the Belt Squat. Lou, uh, earlier on we talked about rack heights, or for uh, rack pulls, and that you do them conventional. Is there a particular height um, that will transfer over to sprinting? Because I noticed that you will get sprinters to pull off a higher pin, but they'll pull an amazing amount of weight, and it seems to uh, transfer greatly over to their um, sport. Yeah, you see one of our girls pull high pins and yet go to stand on a box and break her deadlift record. Mm -hmm. It just sets the central nervous system up. Um, so we pull on high pins because there's just no need uh, to take a chance of hurting lower backs. You know, I mean, it, it, I just don't like to do it, so I have them do it high. Where our lifters would pull conventional in a rack, the plates are two and a half, four and a half, or six and a half inches off the ground. And uh, would you have them deadlift if they have a competition coming up? Uh, would you have them deadlift before to excite the CNS? Yes, I normally actually do it 72 hours before. Uh, but then again, Ben Johnson, I believe, was doing heavy benches um, the morning of a track meet. And then um, Al Order, years ago, a famous Olympian, my friend Tom Pellucci, was at that outed, or, or I'm sorry, John Sater, national judo coach for seven years, um, came in and Al was squatting in the morning, squatting 650 pounds. And he said, Al, when that, well, when you throw again? He goes, I've got to meet this afternoon. So there's a good example of why they do this.
And so when he would do that, would he do one rep? Is that one rep max? It, right, one rep. Max? It's it's a um, he did a know, max effort that day. A ma- basically a max effort. Yeah. yeah, it's low volume. It's not, you know, you go into the weight room and, and you stand forty five minutes. Just look at the small amount of weight, which does very little for muscle recruitment. But if you go in and max out, <laughs> and if you break a record, why can't you break a record running? I mean, it's a max effort. People don't do this, you know. In my opinion, I think most sprinting should be, I would test times at 30, for for um, 100 meters in indoor, 30, 40, 50, and 60. I would go in and try to break records like that. You know, the only one to break a record in the end of the year, uh, they basically go by a theory of periods, it's called accumulation, when they do many, many exercises non-directed to track. Then intensification, they eliminate some of the exercises go into making an athlete their particular sport. Then transformation, now you're a sprinter or a thrower or whatever, um, then you're supposed to peak in three or four weeks. It seldom ever happens. Why do you got to wait three years to break a freaking record when we break a record every week in my gym? Um, if someone come in and challenge my lifters to, a, if I challenge some gym to me to say, well, show up in 10 or 12 weeks, right? And if they come in and challenge us, I say, well, we'll, we'll, we'll meet you Friday. <laughs> We're ready. We break record at a, a over 90% clip. My entire gym breaks all their max effort records all the time. This is men and a few women as well. There, women train the same way as men. There's no different. Don't let anyone tell you women train differently. They don't. I have the strongest women ever walked the face of the earth. I have the world record totals, um, and, and well, in the 123 with a 530 squat, and then um, and and then in the 32s um, with a 540 squat, another girl, 48s with a 672 squat, 65s with a 770 squat, 81s with a 770 squat. So as you can see. Uh, we the women dominate. They train exactly like my men, so there's no difference. Laura Phelps is doing a tremendous job down at her gym in Cincinnati. Her and, and Shane at Conjugate Gym. Uh, they brought a 132 in. Her name is Heidi. 132 woman comes in and pulls 500 deadlift in our gym. So how they train exactly like us. Why? There's only one way to train the right way. The max effort method, the dynamic method, or the repetition. Most coaches never heard of the dynamic method. They think when you lift weights, you lift heavy, slow weights. But you want to use sub-maximum weights to maximum speed. Force equals mass times acceleration. Um, I always tell people, please pick up a basic physics book. Say, what book should I own first? Try basic physics book. <laughs> Try that one. Look at the laws of motion by Newton. Um, look at kinetic energy. Look at Hooke's law of elasticity. Um, when you run, his laws fit perfectly. Uh, it's everything is physics. Um, physics, um, you know, the biomechanics and then mathematics. Um, <clears throat> deadlifts. Do you think, um, especially for to reduce injuries, that they would help? Yes. Uh, who gets hurt, Tommy? In here, weak, weak people. People. <laughs> yeah. people come with injuries all the time. Why don't we have injuries? Because we got backs like iron, and also the stomach. You know, we do a lot of. Uh, a lot of people have short psoas problems. This is just the way it is because a lot of people work at desk, students, of course. So to shorten your psoas, there's no opposing muscle to keep the psoas straight. One of the major exercises we do, we do setups with a med ball underneath our lower back. So when we go back, it stretches out the top of the hips, the psoas, and the entire abs. And uh, it lengthens out the hip and, and, and because a lot of people start to get shorter strides. And this eliminates a lot of that. And plus you have strong abs. Your abs have to be the strongest thing. Think, folks. When you pick up a weight off the floor, if you do it correctly, what do you do? You take a big gulp of air. <laughs> First thing you do, you flex your abs, then you pick up the weight. What size med ball would you put under your back to do that? 
I think a six and then an eight. And depending on how flexible, a lot of people are very flexible. And But I had so as a problem. I brought my lower back the first time in 73. And so for years, including up until about five or six months ago, I, I've had a reoccurring problem with it. Um, and and our um, John Quint, our excellent ART guy, started to work on me. But again, the next morning, on Saturday morning, it would be tight like always in the shower. I would always feel tension in my stomach and uh, my one side. But so after John worked on me, I immediately went over and started doing these uh, med ball setups over that ball. My feet pulled under me like a lot of guys do in the pinch press and forced my heels downward. It stressed out the psoas, and I basically don't have any problem. And I'm 68 years old. Oh, so you were on a bench with the ball. On a bench. Don't so, do it on the floor. you got to uh, be on a bench. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because a friend of mine from Canada, um, I told him to do this, and he laid on the floor the whole time. That's what I was visualizing. That's a hoser <laughs> for you. <laughs> um, well, I know I can speak on one of the athletes. If you hear me, Bob. <laughs> I work with a baseball player we've, we've talked about a few times here, Evan, and he's got probably the strongest abs, the best work ethic, on abs in the gym, and he's 175 pounds and deadlifts 570, and he also runs a 6'6 at every baseball combine he goes to. He's always the fastest guy there, and it puts him on the radar because he's a little shorter than a lot of the guys, but he hits 400-foot 400, 400 bombs and runs faster than everybody, so he's getting looked at, and he's got a scholarship. and you know, So the, that dedication to the abs and the sumo deadlifts has done really well for him. You know, uh, Tom, you know, you're getting to be a, like look a lot of history of strong men. And so we brought books in. Tommy's bought books. And all you got to do is look at these, uh, these old-timers. They've got abs that are insane. They're thick. They're not pretty. Pretty don't get it. You know, that beach app, it means crap. Yeah. I get uh, people hit me with iron bars. I do it all the time. It's a joke. They can hit me all they want with an iron bar. So you got to have not pretty abs. you got to have pretty strong abs. Yeah. Big difference. And the deadlift is a huge stomach builder if you do it for reps. That's right. Yes, you do high repetitions. You'll notice right away your stomach gets more and more developed. Absolutely. And I, I think a, a big thing too, just where we're touching on it, and we've noticed with one of our athletes that come in, is breathing. People do not know how to breathe. <clears throat> and a lot of deadlift injuries are because people don't flex their belly when they lift it up because you're leveraging off your stomach. So if you don't have a stomach, and fat does not count. You would rather leverage off a rock than a sponge. But when you learn how to breathe correctly, that's a huge thing. Yes, it absolutely is. See, that's why I recommend people in the beginning wear a belt. Because uh, you'll learn to flex out against that belt. You try to tr absolutely try to break the belt. I've always told people when you do, when I lift heavy weights, I try to break the bar or the bar's going to break me. It's 100%. You know, put 100% in everything. Um, so, but the, the greater abdominal pressure, inner abdominal pressure, the less pressure you have in your spinal cord. Like a lot of, I'm not going to get into box squats, but it's the greatest method of squatting. We got the greatest male and female squatter. Um, he took the title from Chuck Vogelpool. Dave Hoff is the greatest pound for pound squatter in the world. Who did he take the title from? Chuck Vogelpool. Boy, Chuck Vogelpool, very same gym. Lord Phelps, the greatest female squatter in the world. How they train? Box squat. They don't have bad back. Do you gain mobility doing sumo deadlifts, and does that help the sprinting? Yes, mobility is key. You know, you have to have mobility and flexibility. Um, you know, time we worked with Matt Brown a lot, and Matt was doing hot yoga, and everybody made fun of him, but it helped him so much. Now we've got um, a, a, a you know a Greco wrestler Ori here, and Ori said he did it in a week and a half, and, and increased his flexibility greatly. Now I, I have a sprinter I work with, and now she's going to go because she has terrible mobility. She looks like a linebacker when she runs, you know. And that brings up a very good point. And you always talk about 
And it's in Mel Siff's book, Facts and Fallacies of Strength Training, about warm-up. Stretching and mobility is very important, but they're important at their own time. They should be treated as a separate workout. I think that's where people fuck up on, is they spend all this time stretching, doing all these drills before they do the task at hand. I just watched a warm-up for an hour and, a, hour and five minutes. And then a girl went out and popped her cat muscle. What good did that hour and five minutes do? Again, like I said, if you've researched the human being and how it works, um, we were made to jump out of a cave and kill something or run back in the cave and not get killed. That's how we were made. And we're not, uh, Human beings were never made made to do anything slowly. And that will just be wear and tear, right? An hour and a half of I have no up. idea. Like uh, this, again, I believe because it came down from coaching. He might have had a good coach. Uh, you know, There's a way to train, but can there always be a better way? You know, in 1957, you know, Chevrolet came out with fuel-injected 57 Chevy. That was the thing. Well, that's that's old school now. <laughs> you know, things have gone up a long way. Thank, oh, that's just technology. If you stay the same, you will perish. You have to evolve. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's all about CNS activation. And I think if, if, if athletes aren't doing the correct training, they're not going to have that. They should be able to jump. But they're not able to do anything off the bat because I think a lot of them don't incorporate that. If they don't incorporate that stuff to, to tax the CNS. And a big thing, is, I'll go back to, to boxing or fighting. Guys get in fights in bars every night. They knock them out like that. They don't warm up. They don't do anything. They don't hit you with that punch. So you're gonna have, you want to activate everything in one go. Yeah. yeah, you don't have time to warm up in a bar fight. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Maybe one arm. <laughs> We've yeah. got accessories. Um, can we go back to that at all? Because, again, as a coach, I know sometimes I get out, I listen to something like this, I get all excited to go, and then I feel like maybe I'm missing something. Again, remember what I said. All three lives here, and we dominate world records. We broke well over 100 world records, all time, not federation. 80% um, of our training is special exercise. For the deadlift, we, of course, the hamstrings and glutes and lower back is essential. So it's lots of reverse hypers. Like a thousand pound, uh, the ratio is about f uh, four to five to one. A thousand pound squatter uh, would do 12,000 pounds of squats. So we'll just go down to 500 squat. He would have to do 6,000 pounds of squats. That means he'd have to do 360, um, I'm sorry, um, it'd be 7,200 pounds of squats. He'd have to do um, 360 for, for uh, basically 10 doubles. Um, so that would be 7,200. So he has to do four times the amount of reverse hypers, about 28,000 or 30,000 pounds. So it's based off of their speed day. Speed day. It's four times the volume and um, with about 50% of their squat. This is male, female. You might, I've got two 1,200 squatters. They use 600 pounds on reverse hyper. 100, 100 you know, they normally will stay at 100 reps, 12,000 pounds. I mean, um, 60,000 pounds. Lou, do you have any standards? Uh, well, not many. But <laughs> for uh, for sprinters that come in, would you expect them to at least have a minimum amount to deadlift uh, when they come in the door? I I gave up on that, Tom. I I like to see him jump. You know, yep. like I said, I brought one girl. Uh, she's she's you know she's at a D one, and when they and by the way, folks, uh, I send girls out here with no injuries, but somehow they manage to get injured at D1 schools. I don't know how this can happen. But, you know, but they're afraid of weight training, aren't you, Tom? But why don't we hurt them? And you see who these girls are hanging with. These girls are hanging with 420-pound men. We're in a gym of insane fighters and everything else. They don't get hurt. But you put them on a track, and they get hurt. So, But I like the, the box jump is everything to me. 
Um, explosive strength is defined as the steepest increase in strength in the shortest possible time. What is that? Jumping. No, it's not Olympic weightlifting. Olympic weightlifting does not make you explosive. By the way, by definition, it's a speed strength sport. It's not explosive. I don't know where these these fallacies come from. It's just amazing to me. Lack of education. Lack of education. Just no one reads it. a book. I, I have. How I I mean, I mean, how many Olympic lifters come here? And we've got a dozen books that they've never heard of. How in the hell do I have these books? And I'm a powerlifter. I, as you well know, because you came from Ireland to here to study here, and then you know now you actually work here, uh, doing a great job training. But I took everything from the Soviet Union. They didn't have powerlifting in the 70s and 80s. I took their methods. I applied to track and field where it came from in weightlifting and excelled any sport. We're huge in rugby. You know, lots of teams do water down West Side football. And fighters, uh, you're talking about Bones Jones. Watch Bones Jones train. Anyone says, gee, that's coming from West Side. Sumo deadlift. 600 pounds. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a way to train safely. You know, uh, I like to think that there, you want to get the most out of an exercise. Don't let it get the most out of you. Hmm. I, 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 what I find when people come in here, I think the best coaches are the ones that have the best reading comprehension. Mm -hmm. And that they, they read and read and they cross-reference book. They don't take anything to be the truth. They read and read and read and then. And they take the theoretical into the practical and they do it themselves. That's right. You're right, Tom. You got to be able to take it into the gym and do it. A lot of people cannot do that. I know super smart people. I remember years ago, I barely got out of high school, you know. Uh, I remember all these PhDs. Said, How did you read those books? How did you master? These are PhDs in exercise physics. Couldn't make edgertails out. I'm going like, this is the simplest stuff I've ever seen. Maybe because I was uh, competing at 14, training at 12, and competing at 14. Knowing the strongest guys that ever walked the face of the earth, you know. Watched the first 1,000-pound bench, first 1,000-pound deadlift. First thousand pounds squat, I've seen it all. So, do you feel like uh, they should wear special shoes when they're doing the sumo deadlifts? Uh, I'd like to see them wear Chuck Taylors. Yeah. Um, the best shoe to wear, or no shoe. The best shoe to wear is no shoe. Uh, I mean, you look at uh, uh, long distance runners in Africa. They, uh, some one of them, I can't recall his name, won the Olympics. He didn't wear shoes. Oh, yeah. oh he got sponsored by Adidas, didn't? And he put he wore the shoes around his neck. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 Mel Sip said the best shoe was no shoe. I believe it even states that in Super Train. But the advantage yeah, with the sumo and yeah. the chucks is that it supports your ankles, though, too, right? When you push out so you don't... Well, your feet can slide out, but the shoe will stay flat. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And to recap, back on the deadlift and sumo, um, do you want them to... We said briefs, but they're, um, we have a lot of people in strongman briefs, right? Yeah. Compression. Yeah. Just at least wear compression. Eric Hyden years ago played for the Browns and he had microsis of the hip. And I took a bunch of briefs up there. My friend Buddy Morris is coaching up there at the time. So I brought up eight or ten pair. And uh, Hyden wore them during um, the football games. Says best thing he'd ever put on. I don't get coaches. You know, if you're anyone around football, you don't go in the field without a mouthpiece, a helmet, your ankle tape, something. You go in the weight room, no uniform. Why would a kid think it's important if you don't have a uniform? And I don't mean I bench 300 either. I mean a power belt. You know, um, a pair of, like Tommy says, either Starman shorts or something. You, uh, why don't we get people? We got fighters, and these people make a lot of money, but we don't hurt. We can't afford to get them hurt mm -hmm. and, and have a fight canceled. <laughs> That's money coming out of their pocket. And by the way, how much, you know, we don't charge people here. I've never charged a person, and I'm not going to, you know. 
Basically, the person said one time, why don't you charge? I said, if I charge, I'd have to let any geek in here, and I'm not going to do that. Because the lame, if you run with the lame, you develop a limp. And I don't have any lame people here. Yeah. Iron sharpens iron. And remember that. It's more of a mental mental process than a physical process. If you think you're a loser, you're a loser. If you think you're a winner, you're a winner. And I used to watch Chuck Vogelpohl in the, in the gym or in meets. And if he lost, the guy went crazy. I mean, he was a terrible loser. But that's why he wasn't a loser. <laughs> show me a good loser. I'll show you a loser. That's it. Just like Steve is called Mark Schmarletti. He said the same thing when he was here. It was life or death. Yes. If you missed a deadlift, it was the end of your world because you would never hear the end of it. And you came back in the next day. That's what he said. You, you had to get that lift. Yeah. It was rough. <laughs> Guys are different back in. It was it was different. Uh, you know, you asked me about accessories, though. Yeah. Hamstrings. Like we do, we do a lot of variations of hamstring work. Um, the inverse curl that we have now is a patent of mine. It's the greatest hamstring developer that there is. It outperforms uh, glued hams, I don't know, you know, 100 to 1 because you can't cheat. But we also do uh, a lot of glued hams. We do the inverse curl, standing leg curl, high reps normally, 100, 200 reps at a time. Um, see the band curls with bands, um, uh, always 200. I, I do no less than 200 just to keep my knees healthy. I'm old. I've been beat up. No, so every day I do at least, I sit on the plyo box, hook a band underneath a rack or something, and then pull my ankles underneath. And I do them very explosively. I let it jerk me back out and re and hit it back. I preload the ligaments and tendons of the knee. Because when you run, you have deformation. Uh, if you look at a ball, slow motion, throw a basketball down, the harder you throw it, it will flatten out, and but will spring back up higher. So that deformation is equal as, as when it exploses back up. How hard do you, when your foot, greater ground force, minimum ground contact. It goes hand in hand. Read the book by Barry Ross. It's, it's just a tremendous. I can't. I've never met the man, but he's basically a genius, as far as I'm concerned. He's got research in there that people would read it and don't read it and, and pass the book away. Read it and do it. <laughs> I had a third best Olympic triathlete here. What do you think about that? You know, who's think I'm going to have that? Twenty two year old girl. And it's all about the sled dragging, and. Um, but, uh, you know, so we work with all different types of strength, all different types of athletes. Now, if you say you do 200 leg curls, you're talking about 200 in a row, two sets of 100, 450. I like... try to do 100 straight at least. Uh, and sometimes to do 400, I do 200, come back and do another. I mean, if I don't train, my knees are, my, you know, doing something, they get worse. To do, no Mastrashi said to do nothing about it was worthless. He was right. You know, and that man killed 60 people, 66 maybe that we know of. So I, I follow his advice. Oh I do something every day. I don't sit around and wait to get killed. No. A big thing too with the high reps, ligament tendons are such poor uh, blood supply to them that you have to do as many reps for Yes, Tom. Well, what do we have here all the time to attack people? Reoccurring low leg injuries. It, you got foot injuries, you got ankle injuries, you got knee injuries. Why? They know this. And they tell you, I heard a coach this year day say the very same thing. These muscles are overused. Why don't you do something about it? You, you know, if, if I'm going to fight a fighter who could go 10 rounds, I better be prepared to go 10 rounds. If I could fight five rounds, I'm in for a bad day in round number six. And that's what happened to these guys. They have no base. They've got to spend time working on these things. There used to be a special shield that had a high elevated toe for jumping. Oh, yeah, three yeah, or four yeah. inches remember those yeah. I know guys that told me they had them they couldn't dunk a basketball and within like a couple of months they could double hand dunk um, they need to work uh, you know on the building up the Achilles the, the plantar plantar fascia yeah, 
and uh, all this stuff. We actually, right now, we're experimenting taking uh, weights on top of the foot and just during everyday activity, like in class or walking or work, uh, it's your time you pick your foot if you're going to build that up. So we're doing stuff like that. We try to work out while we're not working out. You know? That makes sense. I mean, I follow a lot of old Chinese uh, martial arts stuff they did. You know, they did a lot of crazy stuff, but it worked. No, what we do today comes from that. That's right. I think a lot of modern-day plyometrics, even though, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Verford Shansi was using the plyometric field and another fellow from the Soviet Union, but I think a lot of it came from the Chinese. Yeah, didn't they used to dig holes and then jump out and dig it further? Through, in water. Out? They were jumping out of water long yeah. before uh, uh, P.J. Penn was doing it, you know. <laughs> yeah, way back in the 16, 1700s. All kind of things like that. They did a lot of stuff. Yeah, Stomping cool. on bricks. But it's the internal breathing. Where'd that come from? You know, monks for exercise. That's where Tai Chi came from, which later on moved into Kung Fu, I guess, you know, the animal style. To, to, yep. wrap, to wrap this up, Lou, um, to sum it up, the deadlift is very, very important for sprinting and not to be afraid to max out, but sumo is the key. And to avoid, what, just finally, what do you say to those that don't want to change? They want to stick to conventional. Do you think that's detrimental or? Uh, their time was, their time won't change either. Times will be stagnant, just like they are. Stagnant thinking leads to disaster. You know, coaches, I just want to say something. Uh, I believe it's my obligation to the people to come here, and this is a private gym. You are asked to come here. If you don't succeed, we think you can do good. If you can't, you're gone. Um, you just don't come here and train at Westside. As a visit, you can't. But it's my obligation to these men to make them better. And Shane Hammond was here, and Shane said, I think I figured out what you do. And I said, what's that, Shane? He said, you either bring in a new person for stimulus. He's right. Or a new piece of equipment or a new training method. You constantly have to have new stimulus. You know, um, extroverted people need a lot of stimulus. If you do the same thing, you're going to go stale and you're going to make any progress. And so you got to bring in new stimulus. You have to be above the coach. <clears throat> and uh, I mean, above the athlete. The coach must be far above. You take a great athlete and he becomes a coach. He's not going to be a great coach until he makes athletes better than himself. If he can't do that, he's not a great coach. He was just a great athlete. Uh, I think that's a okay. good place to leave it. All right, like thank, to, you. thank you, Tom. I'd like to thank Louis Simmons, thank of Brian. course, and to Brian Selfies, who got his name wrong at the start, from One to One Fitness. Uh, this is West, uh, the Westside Barbell Podcast. Um, talk to you guys next week. This is Westside Barbell with strength and conditioning legend Louis Simmons. WestsideBarbell.com, the strongest website in the world.